What is going on, you guys? For this episode of the Rockney Cast, we're going to cover the work of geopolitical strategist Peter Zion and his opinions on the Ukraine conflict between Ukraine and Russia, and increasingly the whole Western bloc in the form of NATO. We're going to cover several topics related to Peter Zion in his uh, various commentary on the Ukrainian conflict. And we're going to try to cover various topics related to that. One is, is who in the hell is Peter Zion? I'll talk a little bit about who he is, what he does, his credentials. Two, I'm going to pose a question, which to me is the only question, um, which is, does the Ukraine conflict increase or decrease the use of nuclear weapons. I'll say it again, class. Does the current United States foreign policy increase or decrease the use of nuclear weapons on the world stage based upon the decisions the United States is making? And I'm going to give you Peter Zion's response to that question. Third, we're going to cover the Russian fear of invasion, which everyone talks about. Is it an actual fear that they believe the West is going to evade? Or is it just a made-up fear so that the Russians can rule the world and rule them all just like Mordor? We'll cover that. And then finally, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer the question, should we trust the experts? I mean, like, who the hell are you? You know, you just need to stay in your lane, Cole. You, what the hell? What the hell do you know? You're just a lawyer, you know, living in Northeast Iowa, drinking occasional bush lights. What the hell do you have? And also, too, some of you are probably wondering, like, oh, my God, like, are you really afraid or, of nukes? Are you, are you okay? Yeah, actually, I'm feeling really good. But this is an important question that I think we need to address. And so I'm going to address it because seemingly I'm not seeing this out. So maybe I'm going to get shadow banned or I, I don't know. Maybe I'll start some controversy. But I think it's important because people like Peter Zion are the cheerleaders for the current architecture of United States foreign policy in the Ukraine, which includes approximately $100 billion of uh, aid to Ukraine, including both humanitarian, which I think everyone is supportive of, and increasingly offensive weapons uh, in the form of javelins, stinger missiles that take out planes, take out tanks. So this is not an insignificant amount of aid. And actual, as I understand it, based upon what Mr. Zion has reported, is actual coordination to help target Russians in the field. And we'll discuss the wisdom of that policy. Okay, so let's get started, class. First off, who the hell is Peter Zion? Well, if you turn on YouTube, he's kind of like a YouTuber foreign policy expert. He has all these various commentaries. Um, and so I looked into like who he is. And he is, he went to Truman State in Missouri. Um, and he did some graduate work at uh, Patterson School of uh, Geopolitics, apparently, at the University of Kentucky. 
And I think he studied abroad a little bit in Asian studies in New Zealand. Now, some of you may be saying like, oh my God, are you trying to like impugn his credentials because he just went to Truman State? No, actually, I trust him even more because he went to Truman State as opposed to Harvard and Yale. Had he gone there, I'd have been way more skeptical of him than I already am. But yeah, and Truman State, you know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, as I understand, it's kind of like the University of Wisconsin kind of-ish for liberal arts people in Missouri. So it's it's a good university. So I'm not impugning his credentials. I went to Luther College. And so I'm mean, gonna take that Truman State. Um, so that's where he went to school. Um, and he's written serious, he's one of these guys kind of like, you know, in the 80s, there was Peter Drucker that wrote these big books on management. And there are these theorists, you know, at the end of the Cold War, I think it was Francis Fukuyama said the end of history. So he kind of writes, and I think he became famous for these big kind of sweeping books. And uh, about 10 or 15 years ago, um, he started essentially a geopolitical consulting firm. So I think he consults with um, you know, governments and uh, various international um, governmental organizations, think tanks, uh, private corporations to kind of give a forecast as to what's going to happen into the future. I actually came across him um, on Rogan. So if you, if you get on Rogan, you have to be kind of good. So you have to know what you're talking about him. And I found him to be in, and Rogan had him on for the question of uh, his analysis on the Ukraine, because Rogan's also had people that are skeptical of the uh, current architecture in terms of the U.S. foreign policy in Ukraine. And Zion came across, as far as I can tell, um, as, by the way, super engaging, super articulate, a lot of fun to listen to, very charismatic. Uh, but he had some, I, I thought, curious things that I'd like to kind of question him on, because I think they're kind of insane. And if you go onto YouTube or anywhere else, uh, he seems to be matching in near perfect synchronicity with United States foreign policy. So the question I think he should disclose, I went onto his website that he does he does consult with governments. Full disclosure, do you have any contracts with the United States government? Just disclose that. Now, it may be that his policy matches up and they're both looking at the same thing so that they're actually correctly perceiving reality. But I think that, you know, given the fact that that's what he is, I think that should be disclosed. And I, I was not able to uh, find that in terms of the um, analysis. So on to our first topic, which is, uh, does the current U.S. foreign policy in the Ukraine increase or decrease the use of those things called nuclear weapons. Am I saying that right? Is it nuclear or nuclear? Like how did Bush say it? He kind of said it the weird word. Nuclear weapons, is it increase or decrease? Because the last I checked, Russia has nuclear weapons and the capacity and experience to put them on intercontinental ballistic missiles. So yeah, they could do that. And of course, whether they'll do that, that's the big question. But uh, in terms of the use of nuclear weapons, Peter Zion has an, a very interesting theory that I would like to question him on because, Mr. Zion, I think you kind of pull this out of your ass. And a lot of people are listening to you, and I don't know whether you're funded or not by the government. I, I have no idea, but I think you're kind of pulling this analysis 
out of your ass. And I don't think it makes a lot of sense. So I don't claim to have all the answers, but I believe in the Socratic method. So as it were, I'm going to ask you a whole bunch of questions and only lead to more questions. So here's Zion's analysis of the question of the United States foreign policy about whether it increases or decreases the use of nuclear weapons. He believes that under a certain set of circumstances, our current foreign policy could, by inaction, lead to the use of nuclear weapons. And here's how. Early on in the Ukraine war, Russia did its version of shock and awe. It, it invaded north from Belarus, it invaded on the Eastern Front, and it also invaded from the South in Crimea. At the time, I think the conventional wisdom was that this would essentially be a cakewalk. You know, uh, Ukraine might be able to hold out for six to eight weeks, but that was kind of a best case scenario. All the experts, by the way, were not predicting the current outcome in terms of increasingly leading to this stalemate in which tens of thousands of people on both sides are dying. So early on in the war, the uh, Russians, of course, realized that it was important to take Kiev, which I always said it was Kiev, but it's Kiev, uh, the capital of Ukraine. And so they had essentially a giant column of tanks, materiel, trucks coming in from the north. The Ukrainian military uh, was able essentially to decimate and kick their ass. And in part it was, I think, because of some of the uh, some of the items that have been sold to the Ukrainians. They had very high-tech weaponry, and of course, they were depending their capital. So uh, Zion seizes on this for his belief that, yes, in fact, Russia will use nukes. He, he kind of uses that in no uncertain terms under the following circumstance. They will use nukes, but only if Ukraine loses the war. Why? Because if Ukraine loses the war, then Russia is going to immediately attack Poland and I think Moldova. So essentially the northern and southern gaps that they want to try to prevent from being from NATO being used to attack. So how is that relevant to what happened in north of Kiev? Is that that taught them that their conventional forces suck and they can't win. So knowing that their conventional forces suck, according to uh, Peter Zion, that then they know that fact. And then if Ukraine loses the war, then according to Zion, they're going to immediately attack Poland, a NATO country, and Romania, a NATO country, knowing that they're going to lose. Because according to him, Russia has this great fear of their survival. And so knowing that they're conventional forces, they can't win. They're going to attack NATO, realizing that they can't win that, and then have to use nukes. What? He just pulls this out of his ass. And under his view, the only way to stop this from happening is to support Ukraine and to have them win 
And that will then lower the risk of nukes being used. This is what he says. And he's just pulling this out of his ass. He does not know that. And then he has a second interesting hypothesis that he just revels in. And by the way, Peter, if you're listening to this, I don't have a ton of podcast listeners. He seems like a really nice guy. So I, I would love to have a bush light with him sometimes. I'm not trying to bash Peter Zion. But then he says something else. Like he's just saying these ridiculous things, and I got to call him out on it. Number two is that the great scenario would be that all of a sudden then, if Ukraine wins, here's just the awesome scenario. Russia has a demographic problem. They're not creating enough babies in terms of the Russian ethnicity. Certain groups within Russia, the Tatars, the Chechens, are having much higher birth rates. So under Zion's perfect scenario, this demographically insufficient culture, the Russians are not going to be able to hold or keep in tow other ethnicities within the Russian Federation. And this may lead to the collapse of the Russian state. Voila, but internal dissension. So essentially, it's like a fall of the Soviet Union part two, except you have a wounded ethno-national state with the largest, or I think the second largest nuclear stockpile in the world. So even if the Russians don't use the nukes, we have a situation where we have unsecured nuclear facilities, we have unsecured nuclear warheads, and we have other countries that are hostile to the United States that then all of a sudden could use them. And this is his wonderful scenario. And I, I just gotta say, I think this analysis is insane, right? And I think if you talk about the risk of nukes, it's my view that the only question to answer in terms of this full foreign policy is, yes or no, does it increase the risk of a nuclear exchange? If so, how much, right, in terms of the policy? And by not acting, okay, this is the other question, in terms of the interest as a state, because remember, that's the only purpose of a foreign policy is to defend and protect the state. Now, various people at various times have tried to talk about human rights and other things, but historically, competent foreign policy, the purpose is to defend the state. Now, sometimes to do that, you have to enter into alliances with other states to protect yourself. Do you think Sweden gives a shit about the United States? No, they have wussed out for all these years and now they're in a situation where they need our help. And so they now want to align with NATO, right? That they're trying to protect themselves. And I don't, I don't necessarily blame them for that. So in connection with this, this big issue, um, the question is, is it worth it? And how much increased risk are we taking? And here I basically talk about what the current status is right now. Um, either Biden thinks that we're all a bunch of idiots, or we actually are all a bunch of I don't know. But guess what, people? We're already in a war with Russia based upon this foreign policy. You're like, no, we're not. No, we're 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 not because 
there's not boots in the ground and there's no American insignia in Ukraine that we know of. And so we're not in a war. Yeah, yeah, we are. Because if you are giving, uh, number one, military equipment that is being used to take out various Russian, and by the way, quite effectively, uh, yeah, you you are doing that. But step two, as I understand it, based upon what Zion has reported, that's not only what we're doing. We're obviously providing training in terms of how to use that. And number two, we're also coordinating and providing coordinates for the use of these high-tech weapons that we're providing to the Ukraine. And now they're asking for jets. So in terms of whether you're a belligerent, that means are you an active party in a war? Of course, boots on the ground are one element to that. But another aspect to that, and it's not that far removed, is whether even if you're not the principal, in this case, Ukraine, are you aiding and abetting the principal? And if you are, you are as equally responsible as the principal. That's sort of basic common law. And here's one scenario that I think is very like, likely. Do you remember the Lusitania? Well, what was happening during World War One is that supposedly neutral civilian ships were also carrying arms and materials to Britain and France, and Germany didn't like that. And so they attacked that ship and caused a great loss of life. And that was one of the reasons why we got in the war. So the point is, though, is that if you are providing guns, weapons, ammo, you're in the war. That's one of the many reasons that Hitler declared war on the United States in World War II. And I'm glad that he did, because that gave us the basis to kick his ass. So I'm not saying there's not a basis to do it, but we are engaged in a war right now. We are. And so one easy scenario is, what if the Russian military took steps to interdict a weapons shipment to the United States, which they are to Ukraine, which they're perfectly entitled to do to prevent and protect their own troops? So if you see, if you see some guy and he's an arms dealer, and he's about ready to sell all of his wares to your mortal enemy, are you going to take any actions to stop it? Hell yeah, you are. And I think Russia is in a situation where they basically have nothing to lose because Ukraine is basically playing with house money. Uh, they are not, I mean, obviously that they're, they're providing their lives on the line, and I understand that, but they're being fully backstopped financially and with military equipment by other countries. So the question is, is does this make us all safer? And number two, and I, I don't think that it does because the reality is I'm not a huge defender of Russia. I'm not a Russian operative. They do have nuclear weapons and, that, and they are a great power. And as such, they need to be treated with respect. I think mainly one of the issues is it's like you're in the mob. It, it is, it's like, hey, are you gonna give me the respect? My name is Vladimir Putin. I'm in a great country. Are you gonna give me the respect that I deserve? Yeah, you must. And if you don't, you're gonna get your ass kicked. Yeah, because he is a tough guy. I I I don't want to invite him over for cards or for vodka or anything like that. But Russia is a great power, have are perceived as such. They do have an exceedingly capable military and they do have nuclear weapons. You have to treat them with respect. Instead, we have a bunch of weak need, incompetent foreign policy 
uh, led by people that have never picked up an arm, um, have studied and studied history. And they use like, oh my God, is this going to be the new Munich of 1938? Well, I'm going to do one podcast on is it 1938 or is it 1931? That's going to be a good one. I think you're going to like that. And that comes down to the entire basis upon what, and here's the other thing with Zion. He talks about all these Russian fears of invasion. And I think one of the other bases for these fears, the question that I think everyone's trying to ask themselves is, are these Russian fears of invasion real or pretextual? Or are they just kind of making them up to make themselves feel better? Uh, or, you know, or, or do they really fear invasion? And I think the, the NATO people believe, oh, come on, Russia. We're we're not, I, and, and so-and-so, I, I won't mention you because I want to maintain your privacy, but you know who you are. You sent me an article on Atlantic, which I didn't get to see. The question is that the foreign policy experts are saying, well, it's just like 1943. And is, and is Putin making up all of the threats of fears and invasion. So I'm going to do a couple different things. One, we've talked previously about just, just the facts of over the last 200 years, two massive invasions by Napoleon and Hitler. And in Hitler, he lost, the Russian state lost 30 million people or thereabouts. In World War I, they were engaged in a conflict, a European conflict, and their royal family was subsequently murdered and they had an entire revolution which led to, which led to such lovely people as Joseph Stalin and Lenin. And then in 1989, they had their entire system collapse. And then just after it collapsed, rather than giving some sort of breathing space to this uh, new world, the United States welcome in Poland, Romania, which I think by and large probably was a good idea. I'm, I'm not anti that and Hungary, traditionally part of the European peninsula. Um, but then they welcome in Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania, which if you're, if you're in those countries, I, I respect that you would want our protection. But the question is, is you know, from our perspective, the United States, you're thinking in your interest, I'm thinking in our interest. Is it worth it to piss off Russia to protect Estonia? I don't think so. Sorry, you're dispensable. And that's the reality of it. Now, you can protect yourself, you can make your own alliances, but I don't see how our alliance with you furthers our own interest. So the question is, is, is Russia just making this up? And I would just use one thought experiment, and I think other people have brought this up, but um, let's just suppose the following. Let's suppose that someone like the Taliban right after 9-11, and Taliban now, I guess they're they're having their own internal disputes now with ISIS, and you know, I, I don't know where exactly we're, but whoever it was, our mortal enemy, right? Let's assume the United States collapsed, okay? Which I'm gonna do one that I don't think that's beyond the risk of possibility. Let's assume it collapsed. So we're talking about of the contiguous 48 states, not including even Alaska and Hawaii. And let's assume for a moment that then what emerged from that was a confederation of states that, you know, basically the United States moved its capital, let's say to Jefferson City, and you had 25 
states there. And our mortal enemy then all of a sudden aligned itself with Florida, South Carolina, and North Carolina, and put military bases on those states that used to be part of the United States. And the remaining United States government went to a place where it felt more secure in the middle of the United States. Now, under any circumstance, is it rational to fear under those circumstances? I think absolutely is. So it's even setting aside Putin, because all the experts are saying that, oh, well, these fears are totally made up. But I just think if you look at the sequence of facts, I mean, it is true within the lifetime, almost of Vladimir Putin, and certainly his parents, 30 million people died courtesy of the West. Now, a lot of you would probably say, and maybe I'll get into my supposed next podcast on 1931. Oh, well, that would never happen again. We would never invade. And that would just never happen again. Well, let's take a look at 1931. Why 1931? What the hell happened in 1931? Nothing. If you talked, let's, let's say you went to the Wilson School of Government at Princeton at the time. How many accurately predicted that a guy that was indicted in the beer hall push would take power, number one? And number two, how many people would have accurately predicted it at that time that that Western democracy in 1931, you could still go to Berlin and you could, you know, it was the Weimar Republic. I mean, there were there were dark elements circulating, but no one thought they would be able to take power in the way that they were. None of them would have predict, predicted it. Um, whoever the equivalent of uh, Peter Zion was in 1988, never would have predicted. And most experts did not predict the fall of the Soviet Union within three years. And just go back and look at it. I, I doubt Zion could have predicted it. I doubt Zion could have predicted um, that the Berlin Wall would fall without firing a shot. So if you're looking at the rationality, just say Putin's not in charge, and you're like a reasonable person sitting in his shoes, what would you do? And now you have cheerleaders for war like Peter Zion openly celebrating the collapse of the Russian state. Uh, well, that is not going to happen without a fight. And when you corner someone, uh, you are going to increase the risk and significantly in my view, uh, of, of essentially a catastrophic nuclear exchange. I think that is what you're doing and you are playing Russian roulette. Now, one of the, and so the question is, now one of the things with the Russian roulette, let's say you play it five times and you live, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a good strategy. So is there a possibility that we could all get through this? And as a result of that, um, you know, one side will win clearly over the other. And we'll have some kind of peace treaty. Yeah, that, that's a possibility. And maybe then uh, Biden will be celebrated for his amazingly prescient analysis. But as far as I can tell, I, I think what we're, we're, we're really leading and accelerating the risk of miscalculation. And even under this best case scenario that Zion uh, poses, uh, I think the risk of the collapse of a Russian state, sorry, that's not something I want because then you're going to have to occupy it. And if you think... If you think Iraq was was tricky, uh, what could what could emerge out of that? That would that is not a scenario that we want to imagine. So, and it is true. I mean, I think every country has a line in the sand. And so, in response to you know, I, I think 
Zion, who's this expert, that Russia, realizing it's going to lose a conventional exchange, is going to then risk the use of nukes against itself so it can plug these geopolitical gaps in Poland and Romania. I'm sorry, that doesn't make any sense at all. So, Peter, I just I'm not tracking you. Um, maybe you could do a response to me um, and and kind of give some coherent answers because the other thing about Peter, and by the way, Peter, I would love to like go skiing with you. He's like kind of a dude. I mean, like, I'm sure like if I met Peter Zion, we'd go and we'd have bush light. Um, and we'd go to the ski hills and maybe we'd have a spliff. You know, he's kind of getting long hair now and you know, we'd, we'd hang out in Colorado, get some sunshine and talk a little geopolitics. He seems like a really nice guy. He's very engaging and he is very smart. He's given some very coherent analysis on this particular conflict, but his punchline, I think, is all raw. Uh, we are significantly increasing the, the risk of a geopolitical mistake and, and crisis of our own making. And that gets to the final comments. You know, should we trust the experts here? Um, luckily, um, Zion went to Truman State, so I, I, I um, trust him a little more. Um, but at this time of my life, I think I would probably trust like a plumber, because uh, plumbers are one, super smart, super technical. But number two, uh, they're, they're not going to have the overconfidence that I think sometimes happens with so-called experts, where they're, they're always going to ask why, right? Um, you know, and I, or maybe we need Socrates, where we just continue to ask a series of questions. Well, you know, Peter, why is it that Russia would attack itself, what attack Poland and Romania, knowing that it's going to lose conventional conventionally and that it's going to have to nu use nukes? Is it really so certain that it would act? I mean, maybe it would in fifty years, but to me, that just that 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 makes zero sense. Um, and number two. The example I would use in terms of not trusting the experts, and I, uh, you know, we talk about great presidents, ones that were fantastic and ones that were horrible. One that I think is kind of celebrated and kind of he's been impugned lately is Woodrow Wilson. I mean, he's a dumb, out and out racist, um, hated black people, super prejudiced against black people. There he is. He's a liberal, says all the right things, but, you know, secretly is not the type of person you would trust on race. And he was the great architect of the League of Nations, and I think was a central figure in the Treaty of Versailles. So he was literally a Princeton scholar. He'd been governor of New Jersey. And the people that were leading the peace negotiations at the end of World War I were some of the leading scholars in the world. And these geniuses didn't have any sense that in totally screwing over the German people, he would, they would seed, they would plant the seeds for the Second World War. The cause, in fact, was Adolf Hitler, one of the most evil people ever. The proximate cause was the Treaty of Versailles. Hitler never would have been allowed to emerge had the geniuses, who were all the best foreign policy scholars in the world had they not screwed over the German people and led and see Hitler would have never emerged. He needed to have a large amount of dysfunctional, a collapsed economy, led in part by some of the hyperinflation, large territorial losses that were taken away from him. Now you may say, well, yeah, I mean, he, you know, that he, 
Russia had previously taken over Poland, right? So Poland had their own rights. The point is, is that with state boundaries, the state itself, one of the elements of a nation state is you have to be able to protect your own borders on your own or with another state that is of your equal. Ukraine, you cannot, you're not, you're not able to do that without the help of the United States. So you do not meet the definition of, of, of a state. Now, Ukrainians, I don't want to meet any of you on the street because as far as I can tell, like your mayors are like these buff badasses. So I am not impugning you as a people. You absolutely have a right to defend yourself, to go kick some Russian butt. I mean, I, I mean, go all out. Do whatever you have to do to protect yourself. The problem is I see no interest in protecting and supporting and risking war with Russia to save Ukraine. Sorry, I don't. And that same analysis also applies to Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania. Closer call, you know, obviously we have our, our we're signatories to NATO. Closer call for Poland, uh, closer call for Romania. Um, what I think they should do, and maybe I'll do a separate podcast on this, I think that they should create a new Warsaw Pact of Central European states, essentially a security guarantee. You're going to have, I think, upwards of probably 80 to 100 million people. You're going to have a modern military force. It's going to be non-NATO. Russia would then sign off on, um, you know, agree that they could supply arms. Uh, NATO could supply arms, but each side would agree not to touch the territorial integrity of the other one. And then they would have a mutual defense treaty. So then if they if they were attacked by Russia, they would have a significant uh, security deterrent. And maybe, you know, heck, Sweden and Finland could join this Central European security organization. As it stands now, sorry, do not think it's worth it to go to war over Estonia. Sorry, I think you got good, you got good choir there, but sorry, not, not worth it for the United States. So so people, so Peter Zion, if you're listening to this, answer those questions. I think you're pulling, uh, so in conclusion, you're kind of pulling this nuclear stuff out of your ass. And number two, I want to answer the question, do you receive any funding from the United States government? If you do, you just got to disclose that. Um, your 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 analysis matches perfectly the United States. Now, I do, I do accept the possibility that you're both observing the same phenomena and reaching your own conclusions, and therefore you're both properly apprehending reality, in which case, go to town, okay? But... I do have significant concerns about um, that element to it. And number two, sorry, you, you need a little bit more coherent analysis as to why Russia is going to attack Poland and Romania, knowing that they're going to lose. You, you, you've talked about the demographic issue. You've talked about the, um, the issue about needing to protect its gaps to be able to enter. But even knowing that, why would Russia ex risk a nuclear exchange? And this would only occur, by the way, after they've beaten Ukraine under your analysis. So that, that to me, just makes no sense. And so I'm going to continue to question it because I don't think it makes any sense. So Peter Zion, incredibly engaging. I'd love to have a bush light with you. Um, I'm always welcome to invitations. Reach out to me, rockingcast at gmail.com, rockingpole at gmail.com. And um, for those of you who are in Ukraine, 
um, reach out to me too and rush and reach out to me. I mean, I'm willing to take all comers in terms of questions. Um, but, but Ukrainians, the thing I want you to do is I want you to explain, and I know you're going through a terrible time. Um, and I, I, I absolutely understand that. But the question that I want to ask for you is not why it's in your interest, which, you know, I know why it's in your interest, but why is it in ours? And if, and if your position is, well, we need to protect the territorial integrity of the United States or, or national borders, that's fine. But then make sure that you, did you help us during Taliban? Did, did you? Did you send troops? Maybe you tried to. I don't know. Most of the other NATO troops didn't really do jack shit. Quite frankly, it was America. I don't even know why we're part of NATO, quite frankly, because we do everything. It provides us a little cover, but the other countries, sorry, you're not holding up your end of the bargain. So we're not always going to do geopolitics, but, but this is something where I just felt I had to respond to Peter Zion because I, I just think he's he's articulate, he's charismatic, he's fun to listen to. But in this particular case, I think he's absolutely wrong. And so we're doing a little, little uh, battle of the Midwestern colleges, Luther College versus Truman State, Harvard, Yale people. You can go fuck yourself. Um, we're going to continue to do also on books and health and spirituality, all sorts of different, different topics. I'm also going to do one on my man crush, Andrew Huberman, Phil Stutz. Just finished a little Ernest Hemingway. I'm also going to talk a little Stephen Pressfield. Love Stephen Pressfield. So it's going to continue to be really good. Please continue. If you've made it this far, give me positive reviews and share and spread the word. Send it to Yefgenity and get them all pissed off. As long as we can increase these number of listeners, we can provide even more high-quality content for every single one of you where you're going to laugh, you're going to learn, you're going to just have so much fun. You're going to say, oh, my God, I'm really angry. I want to I touch every emotional cord that you have so you can keep listening, and it's going to continue to be a lot of fun. So that's it for this episode to the Rockney Cast. Mega gratitude for all of you who have made it this far. Continue to um, support the podcast any way that you can, most importantly, by giving me positive reviews and continue to stay tuned for upcoming episodes of the Rockney Cast. Until next time, we meet again on the Rockney Cast. <laughs>